Yeah, I, uh, I'm the doc, uh, Dr. Mosley. I teach biblical studies, systematic theology at the seminary, also the academic dean, and now the director of the doctoral ministry program. So I, I was the registrar at one time, but uh, we, we have somebody else doing that now. Um, um, you take one thing off your plate and somebody figures out a way to put another thing on there, which is, which is okay. And we still have some downstairs um, fellowshipping, I think. So we'll miss out. <clears throat> the talk I was asked to give was one that I gave uh, a few years ago on hospitality. And um, so uh, this, is, this is a subject matter that many of us probably think about, uh, work on, um, practice whether we realize it or not. Uh, and it is something that, that we do find in the scriptures, that we are commanded to be hospitable. Just a little bit of background. Uh, I, when I was going through college, uh, I, I got married and uh, started having kids. And so, well, you have to pay the bills when that happens. And so uh, I was going to school full-time, and I was working full-time uh, in, in the restaurant business. And I was, a, I was a cook, had a chef coat with my name on it, taught people how to cook. Um, in fact, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the methods that we used for cooking was tell, show, do, review, uh, which, which is an excellent method for any type of training, whether it's, it's in seminary or it's teaching people how to use a knife properly. You tell them, this is how you use a knife. You show them how to use the knife. You have them do it without cutting their fingers off, which I have had one person do. And then you review it. Tell, show, do, review. It's something that happens from preschool. This is the letter A. <laughs> this is how you write the letter A. Now you write the letter A. And let's talk about the letter A some more. All the way up until even seminary training. Here's what a sermon looks like. Here's how you put together a sermon. And so that's a part of the training that we went through even in the restaurant business. And one of the things that I remember my general manager, <clears throat> his name was Matt. He was, a, he, was a, I, I mean, he was a Cleveland Indians fan. You get that? He's not anymore. What are they called now? Sentinels? I think they're called the Sentinels. So I just, it's what you get for, you know, rooting for somebody from Cleveland. All right. It's not just Nebraska. I go, I'm, I also go after Ohio. Yeah. I've been pulled over in Ohio. I don't like it. Um, but he would say when you come to a restaurant, you know, there's really only three things that's potential to be offered, but you can only practically do two of them, right? But before, before we, we get to those three things, I'm going to ask a question. You know, I'm sure many of us in here have, have been to a restaurant. We, we went to one just last night on our way here. Uh, and I'm talking not about the McDonald's or Burger King. I'm talking about one where you go down, where you go and you sit down and you have a server. What's one of the 
think about it with me real quick. What's one of the first things that happens when you walk into a restaurant like that where there, where there are servers and there's cooks? What's the first thing that happens? You get greeted. There's a greeter. And a lot of times those greeters are supposed to be young and attractive individuals, right? The, the, the people that have faces for radio, they put us in the back of the house. If you notice, the little advertisement out there does not have a picture of Dr. Mosley because we want to win people over. We put Dr. Kerner, Dr. Morgan. No, let's not scare them away. <laughs> All right. So you put, the, you put the scary people in the back of the house, but you have the hostess or the host, the people that are there. They smile. They greet you. They say, well, how many, <clears throat> how many are in your party? And you know, Then they, they find out, and if there's not a wait, you get to go. They lead you to the table. If they're really good, they'll tell you who your server's name is and the fact that he or she will be there momentarily to take your order and to see what they can do to help, right? And on the restaurant I worked at, did you ever, when you lived in Chicago, did you ever go to a Max and Irma's? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I worked for the corporate offices in Columbus, Ohio. I was a corporate trainer for Max and Irma's. And so, um, and, then, and then they, I think in 08, they went bankrupt. Anyway, I was gone by then. But, <laughs> I was gone by then. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's, that was the order, too. Um, one of the first things that the server would do when they would come there, introduce themselves, say, I'm your server, is they would even ask, before we get started, would you like me to put in the oven for you some, some cookies? And see, that was what they were supposed to say, some hot, fresh, right out of the oven cookies, because that was one of the things Max and Hermes was known for, was fresh baked cookies, that and just really good food. And... A lot of times it would work, other times, but, but you notice how they're already trying to get, you know, get you comfortable, get you, uh, you know, like this is your at home. I think that's another, you know, when you're here, you're home, or family, that's another, that's another restaurant. But they're trying to be hospitable. Sometimes they'll even, you know, help you, and if they see that you have kids, they'll bring crackers out to the table. That way that little child little dirt bag and go ahead and get something to eat and, and kind of, you know, stay calm down while they're crying or, or cr you know, crying, you know, coloring or not coloring or throwing things, right? That's kids, right? They're fun. Um, I have six of them. Um, so it's hospitable. Even, even when there was a mistake, especially in the restaurant we worked in, let's say the server grabbed the wrong food because the cooks never made mistakes. <clears throat> Say, server grabbed the wrong food, and so you get a steak that, is, well, that's not the steak I ordered. It, it isn't? Oh, those cooks. It's on the house. Right, we're going we're to pay for this. Don't worry about it. It's on the house. Because we want you to come back. The idea is to keep on having feet coming in the door. Bottoms in seats. People eating this food here. So being hospitable. Being a good host. And so Matt, the general manager said, there's three things that restaurants can offer, but they're only able to do two of them. Those three things is you can go to a restaurant that's got really good food. I'm sure we've all got places like that that we can think of when 
we don't want to eat at home, we want to go somewhere, we got some good food. Or you could go to, you know, there's another one. The second one is a good price. Good food at a good price. The third is good service. Now, our, the, the point is you can't have all three. You can only have two. And uh, our, our assistant at the seminary challenged me on that. She said, no, I think you could have all three. I said, well, let's give it a try. Name a restaurant. And so she named one, like McDonald's or something. I said, well, <laughs> zero. I said, is, is that really good food? She says, no, not really. All right, then you just proved my point. We don't need to go any further because my whole point was you can't have all three. She says, okay, well, she, so she came up with another restaurant. And this one, I asked, was it good food? She says, yes. Was it good service? Absolutely. What was the price? Well, it was a little more expensive than what I had wanted. You can't have all three. You're paying for the good service and the really good food, so you're not going to get the dollar hamburger. You're not going to get the $2 meal, the $5 value pack. So the price goes up if the service is better and such and such. Okay? But what, what if there is a place... What if there is a place where you can find all three? I'll be honest with you. I just ate a couple of chicken breasts with some vegetables and some tomatoes with some mozzarella cheese on there. It was good service, good food, and it was free. <laughs> it does exist. I would posit to you that it's in the church and the hospitality that the church is supposed to have is where you can find all three. Now, I get it. It's talking about the economics of the restaurant business. You're not going to be able to get all three. But the church needs to shoot for all three. Think about it. Good service? Yeah, how better can you get than Christ? You need to hear him. Serve him. And he is the... Servant of servants there. Good price? <laughs> yeah, right? It's free. He paid the price. What else do we have left to pay? Nothing. About good food. It's that eternal daily bread, that living water that's, you know, when you drink and eat of this, you'll never go hungry again. I don't think you can get any better than that. That's what the church offers. That's the hospitality that as people walk in, they ought to expect of the church. Just like in a restaurant, someone there with a warm smile, greeting, saying welcome. Even when they've been members for decades, it should still be that way. Hospitality. And so, the question that I raise is what about hospitality should we consider today? And for that, we'll be going to the scriptures. And the one passage that I really, really want to focus on, get a little bit into, is 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. <clears throat> so if I can get you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. 
7 through 11. I'm going to spend a little bit of time there uh, before we move on. Hear now the very word of our God. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You can see the word, verse 9, be hospitable to one another. Let's ignore the grumbling part, right? Let's, we're going to do it. Let's at least do it with No. Without grumble, without complaining, walking into the room and not finding something wrong with it. Walking in and being happy that one more day, you have one more day to be with the body of Christ, to be able to enjoy this moment with your family, with your friends, with the body of Christ. I do think that's a reference to somewhat of the wilderness wanderings where they walked around as a congregation and they did nothing but grumble and they forgot about everything that they went through in Egypt as slaves, all the beatings and the torture that they went through as slaves. And what were they missing? The cucumbers and the leeks. All right? You're missing the vegetables? God's providing you manna in heaven. He's got quail falling out of the sky right at your feet, and you're missing the, the, the... Again, I'm looking forward to the... You know what I'm talking about. We've got meat coming up later, and it's the vegetables? You're Really? Okay. Notice verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. This is that focus that is on the fact that we are living presently in the last days. We're not waiting for that to happen. That's where we are right now. It was the case during Peter's day. How much more? Now, the wisdom of my grandfather, who was a World War II vet, when my dad would be in the car and they were heading somewhere, and my dad would ask him annoyingly, so, are we there yet? And my grandfather's answer would be, well, we're closer now than we were when we started. And that's the case. If How much more, Peter's saying this then, how much more is it true of us today? We're closer now to Christ's return than when he ascended. And so this is that perspective of what our church and fellowship and communion, meaning, meaning fellowship, what that ought to look like is in fact an, kind of an open door policy. Now I, I understand, I, I pastored in a church in Colorado Springs where there, there had been some violence done to churches and after about 15 to 20 minutes, the doors were locked 
if people didn't get there on that time, they'd lock the doors because there, there wasn't somebody sitting out uh, in the, in the, in the uh, entryway, the narthex, whatever you call it. wasn't somebody out there sitting there. And you, you couldn't see out in there like you guys can, but there, there wasn't any of that. And, and there was an opportunity, it happened, where one of the deacons did not get to the door in time to lock it. And it, so it stayed open. And sure enough, we had in the middle of the service, so this is well after 20 minutes, we had a homeless man come in. He was homeless. He looked like he cut his own hair. And, and he, he did have a, um, uh, an urban fragrance to him. <laughs> and he sat in the back. And during one of the prayers, he got up and he went to an empty spot. And during another one of the prayers, he got up and made his way even closer to the pulpit. And this church was pretty filled. So there wasn't too many empty spots, and so people are seeing this happen. And two of the men that we had is kind of, they, they, were, they were carrying, and they were retired military. One of them was actually a retired uh, military officer, police officer, uh, security service. Uh, they started moving too. <laughs> and I'm seeing this, and all I think is, oh, oh no. What's about to happen? And as the service was over, I'm now surrounded with the, by these two men as this gentleman's up here talking. And I can tell, okay, he's, he's not all there, but we have an opportunity. In that, in that congregation that I serve, we have a fellowship meal every Sunday. And so we have the opportunity to not only give him the gospel, but to provide him with a free meal. And so I made sure to invite him downstairs in our fellowship room for a minute. And he stayed. Didn't see him again. Maybe because if he shows late up to church every time, we did lock the doors. But didn't see him again. But it was an opportunity to do this type of hospitality. The door was open. And we did welcome him. Guarded with some caution. We're going to see that here in a, in a, in a, in a minute, in a verse. You know, it's not blind hospitality. It's realistic hospitality. It's hospitality knowing we may get egg in our face or may get used, may get somebody just here just for the food or whatever, or just here because it's a, it's a warm building in wintertime. So it doesn't mean that we're not doing this without caution. No, we, we are. In fact, it says we are to be serious and be watchful. But notice the context of the seriousness and the watchful. It's not seriousness and watchful as we're sitting here staring and paying attention. It's serious and watchful in our prayers. It's in our prayers. That our prayers are serious. That our prayers are, are, are moments to watch for opportunities. Lord, give us opportunity to be hospitable. Because we're getting very close to the time where Christ is coming again. It's getting closer and closer each day. And so the prayers become serious and watchful, saying, Lord, give us opportunity to have that open door used for somebody that's not ever heard the gospel. Give us opportunity for that open door to be an opportunity for people to come in if they just need to be fed, sheltered for a little bit. Let us be the church again. Consider verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, 
for love will cover a multitude of sins. What a passage that's been used out of context so many times, but let's put it in the context here. This is, when it comes to the hospitality, not only is it the idea of we're living in the last days, but notice now it's, there's a, a charitable perspective. It's, it is charity. It's, it's love. It's this charitable perspective of open doors and open fellowship. You are welcome. The reality of fellowship is that we let people sit at our table who may not have all of their lives together. They, they may be messy. Serious problems and serious issues. In fact, I'm reminded of one lady. She's one of these academic types, PhD. I think she even wrote her dissertation on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Just a brilliant, brilliant woman. But she was, she was a, les- a lesbian. Even had a partner. And it wasn't until an RPCNA pastor started writing to her and then invited her to church and then invited her into his own home for meals that Rosaria Butterfield became a Christian and is now one of the leading witnesses and testimonies of Christianity to a community that most of the time wants nothing to do with us. She's also now a pastor's wife in the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. It's a fantastic story. But notice how it started. An invite to church, an invite to have dinner, an invite into their home. And so she's written a book called The Gospel Comes with House Keys. And the whole point of the book is we need to be hospitable. We need to open our tables up to people that we haven't seen in church in years, decades. Give them the opportunity to sit down and to hear their story again. What's going on? It doesn't have to be to the degree of Rosaria Butterfield, but the idea is we are, we're supposed to, that's, that's actually what we're called to, to do, is welcome people and provide. Again, we get back to the heart of the, ver- heart of the passage, verse 9. That's the focus. So it's not only are we doing this because we're living in this evil present age, these last days, but it's supposed to have a a charitable perspective. But notice verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Here we see the command, the command for this this whole lecture here. Be hospitable. Do it. It's a command. Go and be hospitable. And, and, and you know where it, where it ought to start? It ought to start in the church. We ought to lead by example by, as a church, and then families will begin to get the idea. This is what we're supposed to be doing. So it starts here. That's why it says, to one another, to each other, have each other over, then start inviting friends over. And that's how it begins. Be hospitable. Practice begins in-house, in here, in order for it to extend out there. This is the practice ground. This is the safe place. And then we step outside somewhere and we're able to put into practice what we're doing here already. 
And then we have that wonderful moment. Do it without grumbling. Do it without complaining. Do it without trying to find fault. Do it without saying, well, I can't because... That's grumbling. And the road to hell is filled with people that do nothing but grumble. That's grumbling. I don't really want to start asking for examples in your lives of where you can find yourself really easy to grumble. But let's recognize a lot of our churches don't grow because we're so comfortable with where we are and the moment that growth begins to happen that's when all of a sudden the grumbling begins because change is uncomfortable different is weird and we need to be aware that in the life of the church as the Holy Spirit works in us it's always changing It's always an aspect of sanctification. We should always be growing. And grumbling is that part of our lives where we tend to push the Holy Spirit back and say, like Augustine said, look, I want to be free of this sin, just, just not right now. Yeah, just maybe tomorrow. Or maybe in a year. I want this, just not right now. That's right, not today. Do you see how, like how just r- real subtle grumbling can be? I, I know that I need this, but can we just postpone it? And I like, I like the way Charles Spurgeon would put it when he's in a sermon and he's calling people to repentance. He says, you know, don't say, I'll repent tomorrow. And he said this, Charles Spurgeon said, tomorrow's of the devil. Salvation belongs to today. You see, that's the seize the day moment that we need to have when it comes to visitors walking in the door. Uh, I don't want to overwhelm them. In fact, I highly recommend having some kind of a group or, or committee or whatever it is, a group of people that we understand they're going to be that welcoming body standing out there welcoming regular members and welcoming visitors, helping them know this is going to sound very weird, but this is kind of an important thing. Where the restroom is, <laughs> especially if you don't have signs, that's kind of an important thing because when you have an emergency, you don't want to walk in the wrong room. It's embarrassing. It's not ever happened to me, but just I know somebody. You want to know where things are. They want to know, okay, is there Sunday school class for all ages? These are kinds of things that that group whoever it is, need to know so they can help new people. Like the hostess, the server, here's your server's name. Would you like cookies at the end of your meal? We can go ahead and get them in the oven for you right now and they'll be ready to go. That's knowing something to help your experience while you're here. Consider verse 10 with me. It's now, once he's mentioned grumbling, it now gets even more personal. 
as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Here, we see that hospitality is to be, and this is a, this is a word that is misused by a lot of people, but it is to be charismatic. Where do we see that? The gracious gift that God gives. That's what charismatic means, gracious gift. And so this hospitality is to be a charismatic hospitality where the believer uses the gracious gifts God has given to them to help minister to one another and to others. God's given us all gifts. Some of our gifts may be just that we believe. Some of them may be that we can help support ministry financially, whatever it is. But we've all been given gifts. And this passage is telling us now to use those gifts without grumbling, but to use those gifts charitably for the sake of each other and for those that are coming in. And so in just a second, there's going to be a couple of lists of gifts that are just two that are mentioned that are kind of uh, hang over a, a bigger list of spiritual gifts. But just, just recognize right away that it is talking about the fact that there are gifts. And if there's gifts, there's a giver. And so the giver has an expectation when he gives the gift that you're going to turn around and use the gift. Right? Many of us probably, I don't know, hopefully, got bicycles when we were kids. Did your parents want you to take that bicycle and then just hang it on a wall and go, look how shiny and new my bicycle is? I hope not. They probably wanted you to go outside and learn how to ride it so that they didn't have to take you everywhere all the time. Well, that's one motivation. (laughs) The, The point is, it's fun, and it gets you from point A to point B faster than walking or running. And it's good exercise. It burns a lot of energy so that when they say it's time for bed, hopefully you've burned a lot of energy and you can get in bed fast. Another motivation. No. The gift is given to be used. Not to be put up on a a pedestal or a mantle. Just, oh, look at at when I got that. Oh, that one, that one, that great, that bicycle back in 64. It was a good, it was a good gift. Good gift. Don't know how to use it. Don't know how to ride it. But boy, they they really had the best of intentions in mind. And so you, you have these gifts in order to be used. Now the word there is also used is, is to minister. So you're, there's many gifts that are given, God gives, so that you can turn around and not just use it for self, but turn around so that you can use it for others. And that's what the minister, or ministry, that's that, it means to serve. And so the gifts are given in order to serve others. Again, think hospitality. And that's actually where you get the idea of being a good steward. It's the Christian economics. Christian economics is good stewardship. God provides, whether we're living in a communist country, living in a dictatorship, a monarchy, or a democratic republic, God provides no matter what country or political system we're in, he provides. And over all of those political systems, we have the biblical economic of being a good steward. No matter where we are, no matter where we find ourselves in life, being a good steward of what? Of the gifts God has given us so that we can, in turn, serve others and give him glory. 
All right. Now notice, it's where does all of this come from? Where we get charismatic? From a manifold grace of God. Which means, there's a lot more where that comes from. He's, as I'm reminded regularly, he's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got a lot of grace. And he provides that grace, not only to, to cover up our sin, that his grace outruns our sin every day, but it's also this grace so that we can have that courage to talk to that visitor, to talk to those people we haven't talked to in years. That's the grace that's being described here. The manifold grace. And then because Peter has brought up the idea of gifts and being a good steward of serving one another, he then says in verse 11, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's, again, that's the last of the passage we're looking at. And so this hospitality we're looking at is, is to be ministerial hospitality. Recognizing that we're living in the last days, it is to be done out of love, so charitable. And it is to be done in a mindset here of service, of ministering, of serving one another. And it starts and it is seen in the pulpit, in the Sunday school rooms, in the confirmation class, and it moves into the community, through the church, and outward. That's where this service is seen. It's a call that all ought to gather and come into the worship service, the worship ministry of the local church. That's this. To those who speak. Now, this is narrowing the focus down just a little bit. To those who speak, meaning ministers, and at times even elders, Sunday school teachers. Notice what type of manner and conduct they ought to do this in. As if they're speaking the oracle or the word of God. You go back to some of the prophets, they'll say, thus declares the oracle of God. Some of them will say it that way. And so as we're talking to one another, we are to talk as if we are talking Bible. Bible. That's important. Our, in other words, as we're seeing this, our fellowship, look at what our fellowship is supposed to be centered around. Not Nebraska football. But Christ and his kingdom, which could include some of that occasionally. It could. There may be some redeemable things with the scarlet and cream. No, I wasn't trying. In all reality, how many times do we find ourselves in fellowship talking about cows and corn instead of Christ and his kingdom? Or maybe it's Fox News or the latest thing on CNN instead of Christ. Notice what Peter's encouraging us to do. We're to be people of the book. 
We're to be people that speak the oracle of God. It ought to be contagious from the pulpit to the classroom to the living room. It ought to be contagious. And then you see those who minister must serve people as they serve God who call them. Again, this is, this is in general. It's not just picking on the pastor or the elders or the deacons. This is talking to the whole church. And we're all to minister to one another. We're all to serve one another. And in doing so, notice what he's saying. In doing that, we're serving God. It's a bigger, it's a bigger thing than just helping your neighbor with some food, some groceries. It's at the end of the day, all to the glory of God. Not to so that our name can be in the newspaper or in light somewhere. Not for that or in the bulletin. No. It's so that God can be proclaimed and that God can be thanked for the gifts, for the goods that he has provided. Because it's all through Jesus Christ who has eternal glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now let's continue then, stepping, now that we've seen the passage and we walk through it, let's continue to define some of what we mean when we talk about hospitality. Hospitality, as we have seen, <clears throat> is service rendered to man for God's glory. It's service. It's hopefully good service. Again, one of those three things. It's not half-hearted or, okay, my name's on the list now and I've got to go over there and shake people's hands. I'll smile when they walk in the door, but I'm not smiling before or after. Once I'm done, I'm done smiling. This is not... Look, again, there's the grumbling. It's this, it's this service. It's the opportunity to provide for the church. And notice who it's for. It is rendered unto, unto man. It is a service to mankind. It's a service to whoever comes in those doors. It's a service to one another. God has placed us here so that not only can we, as we're going to see, give him glory, that's the third thing here, but, but so that we can serve one another. At times, yes, be served, and have to be willing to accept that. But then, in turn, find those ways that we can serve others. In the restaurant business, if a person left the kitchen, they were supposed to try to figure out something that they can kind of take out with them to help another server. And so when you have a server getting all these plates on there, do you need a hand? Can I help you take this out there? Oh, yes, thank, thank you. When you come in, try to help take some stuff in that need to get washed. It's the idea of give and take. That's very important. Because as you have received forgiveness and grace and mercy, guess what you ought to show? Forgiveness 
and grace. And it's why one of the Beatitudes is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Why can they be merciful? Why do they show mercy? It's because they've tasted mercy. You see it? So if, if you know Christ, if, if you've had that experience of getting to know the forgiveness of Christ, guess what? The Bible says you're going to be the, one of the most forgiving individuals that's ever walked this earth. Because you've been forgiven in much. That's the service we're rendering to man. Forgiveness that's 70 times 7. Don't try to do the math. That's not the point. The point is, while it's being rendered to man, it's for God's glory. Because at the end of the day, that's who we serve. So it's not that we're respecters of persons because it doesn't matter who walks in that door. We're here to help them. But it does matter in whose name we're doing it. It does matter that we do it for God's glory, for the name of Christ, and for his kingdom. Which is why hospitality is, is in fact, a reflection of the triune God in creation. Think about all of the Bible. Dr. Kerner walked, walked us through some of it. Uh, he didn't walk through all of the Bible. He walked through some of it, when it with respect to the missional aspect of the church. Well, if you go all the way back again to Genesis, what's God doing with Adam and Eve? He's with them, walking with them in the cool of the day. He's interacting with them. And then when the fall happens... Later in the course of time, he still is interacting with many of the, of the patriarchs. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Even some of the matriarchs, he communicates with Rebecca about you know, the fight that's going on in her womb. Proof text for why siblings fight. Well, it's there. God is still interacting with them. And then you get to Moses... Have you ever wondered what was the, why build the tabernacle? It's because God wanted to be in the midst of His people. He wants to be with us. He wants to be surrounded by His church. And that's in fact what Emmanuel means. God wants to be with us. It's the whole point. Why are we to be hospitable? Because God is hospitable. Because God's opened himself up for us to be in his presence. Why are we to be hospitable? Why are we to set our table with things that are delicious? Because God has done that. He has shown us a part of his character that not out of necessity, but out of desire, he wants his people to be in his midst. It's profound. And then it's not just that we see it with the tabernacle and, and, the, and the glory of God filling that. It's not just that we see it with Jesus Christ in His incarnation. But then even after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, what does God the Spirit do to us? He fills us. So we're not ever out of His presence. It's 24-7, 365 days. He doesn't take a day off. He hospi hospitably is with us, helping us. Nurturing us, taking care of us, 
feeding us, providing for us, giving His beloved sleep when we need it. This is what our God does. He's a demonstration of this principle of hospitality, whether we realize it or not. That's our God. And third, as we continue to define, hospitality is actually continuing the practice of the ancient church today. And so shortly after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, you begin to see that the church would gather not only there at the temple ground, but they would begin and continue to gather from house to house for worship. They would break bread together. That's fellowship. That's having a meal. And they would then find ways to serve one another. Whether it was Barnabas selling all of his land and giving the proceeds to the church so that the church can help feed those in need. That was his gift. He was an encourager. And he provided so that the church could hospitably provide for others. We see it. That's the ancient church. House to house. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he's talking to the elders there uh, later on in the book of Acts, the elders that would ordain and really install Timothy into ministry, he would let them know, I, I would preach to you, you know, essentially from the pulpit to the congregation. And then I would preach to you from house to house, family visitation. And then he uses a word later on that talks about preaching to them one-on-one. That's where we get the idea of counseling. And Paul is demonstrating what Peter is saying here about here he is able to speak and able to minister. And look at how he did it. Not just congregationally, but also house to house and individually. That's how it moves from pulpit and congregation to living room to just meeting at the gas station, meeting at the grocery store, meeting in the business square. That's how it works. It's very simple. But there becomes a challenge, especially when you get into churches that have just that have been around for a while, that have they've gotten used to who's in the pew. And I, I served a church when I was in seminary where one of the things that they wanted to do was their annual church picnic where they would, they would, they would uh, uh, get a pig because there was a bunch of pig farmers and they would actually cook the pig and turn it into pulled pork and have it right there. They, although I would have to say they did not really have any good barbecue sauce, but that's, that's beside the point. But they would cook the pig uh, and, that, and that was one of their big things. And they said, we'd like to open this up to the community. And so that was said. It was sent to their, their fellowship communi- uh, committee. And the fellowship committee responded by saying, well, we've never really done that before. Again, that's, that's a challenge, right? Uh, never really done that before. Um, we, we don't think that this, this church picnic needs to be opened up to the community. Uh oh. <laughs> well, 
I didn't really care for the way that the consistory responded to that answer. They said, well, we weren't really giving you the option. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> see, see, even they have an opportunity to minister and to be hospitable in the way they answered, and they just kind of went no way, no highway options kind of, kind of church polity. Yeah? And, and so, uh, <laughs> you don't do it that way. Um, instead, they had an opportunity to minister and say, well, everything we do, from from women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, to church picnics, it is to be open to the community. And why? Because we're commanded to be hospitable. We're, we're to be salt and light. We're to be outreaching, not in-reaching, not inward-growing, but outward-growing. It's to us and to our children and to those who are far off, which, by the way, could be your next-door neighbor. Not that far. That's the idea. And so sometimes we confuse, and it's, it's, it's easy to do this, the, the language of fellowship with the Lord's Supper. And it's done with a synonym for fellowship is communion. This is how this happens. Because a synonym for the Lord's Supper is communion. So which, what? Wait a minute. So what we don't need to do is confuse our fellowship Fellowship meals, gathering and singing and, and hearing the word preached, with those that are allowed to gather at the table, that's something different. That is observed and closely watched by the elders and only those who are communicant members of the church can come. But that's not the same as breaking bread and fellowshipping in a hospitable way. That's breaking bread and pouring wine. Breaking bread in a hospitable way is the fellowship meal. And that is to be open. That's the confusion we need to stay away from. It needs to be missional. It needs to be hospitable. We don't need to confuse evangelism with church discipline. No. The outreach of the fellowship mill is so that we can get opportunity to speak Christ to people. Church discipline, the excommunication, communion, excommunion is saying they can't come to the Lord's Supper. It doesn't mean they can't come to the fellowship mill. It doesn't mean they can't come to the church service and hear the gospel. Keep in mind the last step of church discipline is reconciliation. And how else are they going to be reconciled if they're not coming to church to hear the gospel? That's the hospitality. Again, I've heard of a church that when they did church discipline, it meant they no longer went to that person's business because he was excommunicated. He, he, he owned a gas station, so guess what you don't do? You don't go to that. I went to that gas station because it was full service. And when it's negative nine outside, I don't want to get out of the car to get my own gas. They pay people to do that. I don't care if the guy's been excommunicated. I'm not asking him to take part in communion. I'm just saying, hey, fill my gas tank up and I'll pay you for it. How else is that guy supposed to see the minister and hear the gospel if we're not communicating with him? For not interacting with them. Well, no, no, he's excommunicated. That's, that means he's not allowed to do this. That means he's, he's to be treated as an unbeliever, which means 
invite them to your house and share the gospel with them. It doesn't mean ignore him for the rest of your life. Because that's not what Christ does. Remember Peter denied Jesus three times? Did he start annoying, ignoring Peter? I mean, let's understand. He had to go get that brother from fishing every time he turned around. He'd look one way and look back. Peter was gone. Oh, he's fishing again. That was Peter. The man that would stick his foot in his mouth every opportunity he'd get, which is what probably made him a better fisherman because he had to be quiet. It was at night. And here Jesus is going and getting Peter again and telling him, Peter, feed my sheep. Go minister. So how can we apply this? Think about it. How can we take what Peter is suggesting? Maybe some of this is already happening here. Or maybe there's been a challenge to do just a little better. We could always do better. Whether it's having somebody or a group of people alternate, greeting at the door, whether it's having ushers helping people into the church and helping them find a place to sit, or maybe it's having a, a, a group of people that are committed to saying, we will make sure we have a meal ready for when we do have visitors that we will invite them over to our house after church. That's what you see in the book of Acts. That's, that is what it means to be the church. How else are we going to show the love of Christ if we're not having that opportunity to minister in that way? There's many ways of getting this done, and it's got to look the way that it needs to look here. I've served in several churches that did it differently. And some of them had good barbecue sauce. And so you have to find out, in a sense, what's the best way to do this here and then get to it.